0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Early Education Show. It's great to be back with you. We're up to episode thirty-seven. Uh, I'm Liam, an operations and uh, operations manager and teacher working in the ACT, and I'm joined uh, for the first time in quite a while by the whole gang's back together. It's very, very exciting. So I'm joined uh, by Lisa, who's an advocate, writer, and consultant. Hello again, Lisa.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: And I'm also joined by Leanne, who's a leadership and policy expert. How are you going, Leanne? I'm good, Liam. It feels like many, many weeks since we've just had a normal standard episode with the three of us (laughs) recording. We're doing a news list. We're doing a topic. We're doing recommendations. It seems like it's been a long, long time since that's happened.
2: It It has. Maybe everybody's been happy
0: for the break. I think so. It was probably, it was, tell you what, was nice when editing the last couple of episodes, not having to hear my own voice droning on and on about whatever <laughs> I normally drone on and on was actually a really nice break. <laughs> probably everyone it else the same. Got
1: really, you've got a really nice voice. And I never know if I think that because you do have a nice voice or because I'm just so used to male voices being authoritative that yours sounds like it should sound.
0: Oh, it's probably option <laughs> oh. two. <Ooh. laughs>
1: uh, I think Thank you. you do have a nice
0: voice, though. You do, Liam. See, this is why we need to do this all together more often. If it's just going to be complimentary of me the entire time, we need to stop having these other episodes anyway.
2: (laughs) And your editing's great and all of those things. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, I'm going to ask for the pay rise after the show. But, um... We we have our main topic for tonight. We're actually going to bring you sort of the second in our series that we started quite a while ago and probably thought we would have brought you part two by now but haven't, um, on the new National quality Standard, which is due to roll out in t- February 2018. So we had a great chat with the National Education Leader for a sequa, Rhonda Livingston, uh, In back in episode – oh, I'm going to – to try and remember my memory about it in episode 30, I think, where we talked about Quality Area 1. So this week, we're going to talk about Quality Area 2. Um, we don't have a special guest for this one. We, we're we going to sort of just go through it ourselves. But um, this is, yeah, this is an interesting one to have a chat about. It's one of the ones that isn't, it has a few changes, but is sort of, you know, largely at least has the same focus and structure as as the current system we're used to, but we're looking forward to just uh, taking it apart a little bit. But before we head over there, we'll bring you some news of the week. We've, we have sort of haven't done the news list in quite a while, but we're sort of just going to focus on uh, news from the last week and not go back too far. Um, I'm going to just sort of talk quickly about the first one, which is something that's probably been one of the bigger ones in the news that lasted a while, which is in the school aged care sector. And it's talking about Uh, a proposed merger between two large um, outside-of-school-age, outside-of-school-hours-care services. So there's um, Bain Capital, which we've talked about previously on the podcast, which is a private equity firm based in the United States, um, is looking to buy the Junior Adventures Group, which uh, run a lot of service. And if they did that, because... And um, Lisa, I know you know this a lot better than I do, but uh, Bain Capital have already purchased Camp Australia, which had quite a number of services. So if they controlled Camp Australia and this junior adventures group, um, they're going to control a quarter of the market, so 26% of the market. So this, so the comparisons are being drawn between this and sort of ABC Learning in the in the early childhood education and care space uh, in the last decade, so leading up to 2007, that this potentially isn't a very good thing for the provision of education and care for the for the middle age for the, the middle ages for the middle middle aged uh, children. So this is so my understanding is it's currently sitting uh, at the A Triple C, which is the competitive sort of consumer. No, that's not even close to being right. But the sort of competition watchdog, seeing about whether this is in the best interests of you know sort of Australian um, consumers of these services. So. Uh, and this is, I guess, particularly a New South Wales-based um, story because I know that Camp Australia was a very big story there. So, you know, Lisa, this is—I'm guessing this probably rings some alarm bells for you.
1: It, uh, yeah, it does. It does for two reasons. I think a lot of people aren't aware of the difference between private equity firms and publicly listed, publicly listed companies. But private equity, publicly listed companies, whether they be ABC Learning or G Eight tend to be in it because they've chosen an industry to be in, Um, in this case childcare or early education and care, whereas private equity firms just go around looking at industries and at companies that they think they can take tart up and make a profit out of. So um, Bain have already um, uh, taken over only about children, um and uh, which is in the nought five space, and then they set their eyes on the out of school hours care space. So it really, you know, they're really not that committed to. Provision, long-term provision of um, school-age care. They're just looking at it as a way to make money. The other problem with private equity firms is we can't actually interrogate their books in any way to see things like we know what g 8s occupancy rates are. We know how much um, uh, how much they spend on on staffing, etc. Whereas private equity firms, they're not public, so we don't know any of that.
0: So I think that's something we'll be keeping an eye on. So as I said, the ACCC is currently looking at it. And I think we should point out just in terms of, you know, sort of celebrating advocacy that um, the, the the peak body for outside-of-school aged care services, um, NOSHA, I'm sorry if that's bit, if I've said that wrong, but um, sort of the national body that sort of looks at that have made, uh, have have done a lot of advocacy in this space and have made submissions to the C. so... It's worth.
1: Yay! Yay,
0: yeah, good on them. It's worth and always supporting, you know, advocacy in the sector. I, I sort of will obviously follow that on the show and and keep everyone posted as that changes. But um, our next, our next uh, top, uh, sorry, our next item on the news list has to do with school readiness. And I think you're bringing us this one, Lisa.
1: Yeah, look, it's not so much the school readiness that I want to talk about, although I think it is important that schools are ready for the children they're taking on. I think it's mostly that this particular article shows that in Queensland alone, in PrEP, which is the equivalent of kindergarten um, or, uh, yeah, for most states and territories, um, uh, in that year, in 2016, 1,028 children were suspended. So in one state alone in Australia, we suspend 1,028 children five year olds from because you know obviously they can't do what the school demands they do, so I think it raises a lot of questions about what schools are demanding that children do
0: God, that's incredible numbers isn't
1: it? yeah, I was shocked
0: um and there's some you know some good responses from sort of early childhood people down the sort of as you go down the article, there's a great line there, which is, you know, it says, is this the best we can do to support, support children, expecting them to, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we do really well in early childhood is embracing that play-based approach to curriculum and not, we, do, we don't We do do you know well hopefully we don't do it across some sectors. but you know sitting children down and just forcing them to learn this stuff we do we're very, very very good at focusing on social emotional approaches but that seems to the transition to school is quite bumpy i think then because there is still at least from my experience there's still a bit of an old school way of approaching that for the first few years of young oh
1: for sure yeah but, but also suspension like yeah. <laughs>
2: and, you know, a five year old doesn't Do you... learn from that. Yeah, I don't know whether we talked about this before. I've got this dull recollection that we did when we looked in the states and the suspension of children in early childhood settings is actually similar to that.
0: Yeah. I... Similar oh. to that. Similar.
2: Yes, yes. It's similar to those sorts of figures. And it was... um And... Of course it's mostly children that are disadvantaged and in minorities. Yeah. Well, in majorities in some place, yeah. So they're they're, there and there were there were I think the NAYC put out some advocacy on it to say why are we suspending children in early childhood settings? So we sort of think it can't happen in early childhood settings, but obviously where there's challenges around regs and and you know inconsistencies in the way a a sector is administered it can happen yeah and it could happen here
1: sad
0: well particularly if we look at the loss of professional development funding and a pretty limited inclusion support program yeah it's entirely Mm. possible um all right next one's also from you lisa this is i think this is from the uk this one
1: uh, no, oh, you read what? Liverpool oh. and you think it's the UK, <laughs> it's Liverpool in Sydney. That was my uh, UK bias. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want to talk for this one for long because I know nothing other than what's presented in the, the actual article, but I'll just read you two paragraphs. For the small cost of $5 a day, every child in the school holiday program gets food, good quality attention from staff, And hands-on activities so it sounds like a very affordable um, vacation care program till you go down and say say to the next paragraph it says it's run by volunteers who are getting work experience which is really important especially in the childcare um, (laughs) industry High school students come to the centre for work experience and the other workers are volunteers. What do we mm. think about that, guys? Is that well, legal
2: <laughs> Nothing parents says are the parents in the parents rigs? Off-site?
1: No, but nothing says on the rigs you know.
0: Well, there is minimum that... qualification requirements even in school, even in vacation care.
2: But is, is money changing hands? Mm, no, there isn't
0: is there? yeah one in every 33 educators has to have a um a at least a degree every... i think one in every 33 sorry one in every th- for every 33 children one educator has to have a, a qualification or be working towards one
2: i don't know maybe, if that's cross the board maybe it's not Liam. the maybe it's not the whole story
0: that could be just in the ACT actually now i think that
2: I did Sorry, hope the... that it
1: wasn't the whole story, but mm. the rest of the quotes suggest that it is. Mm. Um, the manager said they had not received help with funding the programs and it had been working off the $5 per child fee. Gosh. Funding has
2: been well, the big making issue, a profit on that. slowly yeah. building it up. <laughs> and let's just say that photo, everyone looks. So I happy! Know. <laughs> <not>. I know. <laughs> everybody, everybody, looks like they've been given some sort of. That was going to be say. my
0: only two, my two uh, experienced bits of expert analysis of this piece. are going to be that 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 photo in which no one particularly looks inspired or need to be there, and the the fantastic name of the manager of the program, which is Ronda Rumble. That's a brilliant name.
1: If you actually click on the the photo, there's three other photos there. And the first photo of the staff is certainly not what I'd call a very um, a
2: flattering photo. Oh look, the children get a certificate of attendance. Yeah,
0: <laughs> fascinating. All right. Well, thanks for bringing us that one, Lisa. We might have to. I might have to um, do a little bit of research into that one. I, I've, I've got. I've got some sneaking suspicion that something's not quite right there but anyway yes. <laughs> um and this one Thanks. yeah this is another one that's uh our next item probably people have seen reported in uh probably a few different uh, venues which is just talking about sort of Pisa and naplan results and school performance in australia and i think you were going to talk this one as well lisa
1: um, yes, I was, but I haven't got it open. Let me just get it open. That was bad of me, wasn't it? <laughs> Look, the reason I chose this one is because it's Ross Gittins, who, um, as people um, may know, is a Fairfax economics reporter. And I'll just read one line that he says in this, which is that essentially if we manage to improve our our 15-year-old's um, uh performances in pizza it would um the estimated value of the human capital would be 17 billion greater per year in australia so improving our 15 year olds performance would um, create an extra 17 billion dollars worth of gdp now if you think about the fact that we also know that um children that have had two years of early education have a one-year advantage in Pisa tests, then it means that um you know that seventeen billion dollars is the exact advantage of investing in two years early education for every Australian child. Do we think it would cost anything near
2: seventeen billion to do that? No. And certainly not if we adopt the Liverpool model. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs>
0: That's right. Savings all round. <laughs>
2: right.
0: Yeah, mm. well, I mean, then probably the the story you're going to bring, this, Leanne, probably actually ties in pretty well with that one, which is another sort of looking at how Australia ranks internationally. Did you want to take us through this one?
2: Yeah. Um, this one, and I'm going to come full circle at the end because the Start Strong report is going to be my recommendation as well. But um, this is, it, it's a fairly cursory approach to the Starting Strong report that we've got here. And I noticed that it's not been written by a journalist, it's been written by a producer. Apparently you can be a producer and, and oh. create written material for The Australian now. Um, but it's, it's referencing the Starting Strong report, which is, uh, you know, for for data freaks, the great joy um, that happens via <laughs> the OECD. But the interesting thing is that Lynne Connolly, the president of the Australian Childcare Alliance, New South Wales, is making some very strong statements on um, the cost of childcare, and she's sort of lining that up with the um, you know that we don't have enough. Funded early childhood education now whether whether you like her comments or not referring back to the starting strong report does show that we actually have the highest private contribution and the lowest pretty much the lowest publicly funded early childhood education so you know whether you agree with Lynn Connolly's statements or not she is actually saying that it's too costly and this is this is very true and so um, it's, I guess it's just highlighting the, the big issues around um, Australian early childhood education and its lack of funding and its lack of capacity to offer children a couple of years of early childhood education before they commence formal school.
0: Yeah, pretty much every report that comes out in this area just is pretty embarrassing for Australia really, isn't it?
2: Well, the, one of the big things too, and i' will mention it now rather than mentioning it later um with the reference to the starting to the starting strong report, is that we actually have the second highest um proportion of children living in jobless families, and wow, and that that is the sorry, the second highest proportion of children with a jobless parent in sole parent families. Okay, so that means, and I hate to bring us back to this, this topic, but that means that the Jobs for Families package is going to fail all of those children pretty much. Sorry, yeah. Liam, to, no, to yeah, give you well, post-traumatic stress again. Oh, but but and, and, and we only ha- we are second to Turkey in this, <laughs> which isn't... It's not a prize. It's not. It's not. It's not a great no, place to be. No. So that that's uh, really that's a stat that we should really be looking at and worrying about, particularly in New South Wales, where early childhood education is the highest cost. Wow. To families.
0: Well, I have a lovely. I actually ordered the physical copy of that report. So it's sitting nicely on my desk at work. With it, so I've only got through the first bit, so I haven't got to that bit yet, but. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's tough reading. There there is some stuff Australia mm. does quite well, but um, in terms of actual sort of funding and performance, is long long way to go.
2: Look, we always do well in things like ratios and 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 those elements, but <clears throat> we're not getting better. That's the problem. And and as it states, other countries are getting better at this, and we're not. So, so something's that's a bummer, isn't right. it? Yes. Yes, it is. Actually, I, to, I think I might live in Slovenia. They've got beautiful snow. Uh, yeah, and they do pretty well.
0: <laughs> do they compete in Eurovision, Slovenia?
2: Well, I think they do. And also, remember, at one stage, we found that that was the place where it was best to be a child, along with Finland. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was Slovenia.
0: There you go. Yeah. All right. Or was it
2: Slovakia? No, Slovenia. Yeah, so that's where I'm going.
0: Rightio. Okay, well, that is the news list for the week. We'll be, we'll be bringing you some more stories of the week next week, but uh, we'll be taking a very short little musical break and then be back with our main topic for the night. All right, welcome back. So, yes, we're bringing you part two of our seven-part sort of very irregular series looking at the revised national... Quality standard. So, for those who didn't hear the first part of this series, which is back in episode thirty, which looked at quality area one, um, in February twenty eighteen, a new slightly revised version of the national quality standard will be officially enforced. So, it reduces the num- the current number of elements, which is fifty eight, uh, reduces them to forty elements, but there are still seven quality areas. So, we thought it might be a good opportunity as we go through episodes this year to just take a look at each of the quality areas and. Um, And I guess just give our thoughts on the changes themselves and have a bit of a discussion about each of the individual standards within the quality areas. So we're going to do quality area two for this episode, which is children's health and safety. And I guess we're just going to look, we're going to do this pretty simply, I think. So there are two in the the current national quality standard quality area two is broken into three standards in the new revised NQS there are just two and you know pretty creatively standard one is health and standard two is safety which forms the you know quality area two children's health and safety so I think we're just going to take one standard at a time and we're going to ask a couple of key questions as we go through so we're going to talk. So to talk about what are the changes to the standard, so what's what's different in the revised quality area too, do we think they're sort of generally good or bad, um, what are the, each of the elements in the new national quality standard, and we'll probably have a bit of a talk about what that can and does mean in practice in early childhood settings, um, and also then a bit of a chat about how, what the research tells us. So we have some, one of the great things about a CEQA is the amount of data that's been collected through assessment and rating over the course of the rollout of the National Quality Framework, so that's the general sort of structure for the episode. We hope it's useful, um, and uh, it's definitely something that you know if you're in, uh, particularly in a leadership position in the sector, you know, looking at the new revised National Quality Standard which should be high up in your agenda over the next few months. So, so we, I think we'll just get cracking right into it. We will look at the first standard of the new National Quality Standard, Quality Area Two, which is health, uh, and that has an overall. Uh, sort of description of each child's health and physical activity is supported and promoted. So I think the in terms of looking at the changes between this new national quality standard and the revised one, this seems to uh, mostly absorb um, standard of the first two standards of the um, of the current national quality standard. So. Um, And I've lost the my last little thing I was I was planning to have a look at, but so this sort of very much focuses on children's practical experiences in terms of health, nutrition, um, well-being, comfort uh, as they as they are actually attending uh, day you know their their day-to-day enrolment in a service. So um, I don't do we want to talk about this standard in general first, or go element by element? Do we have a a bit of a think about um, whether the new sort of standard is in terms of children's health in those areas, is is good or bad the changes?
1: Look, i I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good too that the whole thing's been broken up in health and safety, and health is really clear. Um, when I was looking at this standard in depth, though, so the one that really blew me, and it's in the existing standard as well, but just this some. Um, Uh, The phrasing, I think I had a bit of a talk to you on Twitter about it, Liam. Each each child's well-being and comfort is provided for, Mm. whereas comfort is really like the more you drill down into the various documentations, it really just means that you're providing for adequate toileting. And I just wonder why we have to use in the standard, you know, a, a bit of a pseudonym for that. Yeah, and I think I'm... Synonym's well, not the right I, word, but you what, know what I mean. So
2: what is it that that allows you to see that, Lisa? What is it that tells you that? Well, when you
1: look at the guide to the existing guide to the national standard, when you look at the assessment and ratings instrument, all of the things that they're looking at for that particular thing, apart from the well-being side of it, the comfort side is about toileting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm trying to remember back to our Twitter discussion about this, Lisa, so I can summarise it in audio form. I think I was generally okay with it because I think it. My understanding was it, it did cover it did cover a couple of other things as well. So particularly sleep and rest, which is really important, and I would say it's one of the things in services I think we sometimes um, we need to take another look at. So it's one of the ones where that something that can very easily fall into sort of. Um, You know, quite rigorous and adult-focused approaches to children resting, so making sure children are asleep in time for breaks and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, as a catch-all term that needs to cover a few things. I get where you're coming from, but I'm I'm actually always I've always generally been pretty okay with it, and I think it actually encourages a framework of supporting educators to think beyond just basic needs to. You know what does comfort mean for a child? That could include, you know, other, that that encourage you to think beyond just well they've got access to a toilet or they've got access to a bed. To how can we actually make sure children's comfort is is thought about in these spaces?
1: For sure, I just think that it it uh, uh, like for a child basically being able to go to the toilet, having their nappy changed, is pretty high on the comfort level, right and As we know, those practices can be done really well or they can be done really badly in services. And I would have liked to have seen it actually spelt out, that that was something important in the actual um,
0: standard. Yeah, I think you can argue that it is, though. I think that's what that's saying.
1: Yeah, if you you read comfort
0: and think toilet. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I like to be comfortable. I, I want my comfort to be looked after. <laughs> <when I'm... laughs>
2: I don't even want to go there. <laughs> <Next year. laughs>
0: so I think, um, and actually, probably what I should have said before we even sort of started breaking it down, quality area two is really you know interesting. And in my you know current role, I'm, I'm pretty actively engaged with looking at and particularly doing things like audit and compliance around QA two, uh, around sorry, all the quality areas. What what I noticed with quality area two. Uh, which will continue in the new revised national quality standard is it's, it's it's the quality area that has the most regulation and law behind it. So if you look into the particularly the guide to the law and the regulations, you will see there are a huge amount of things that just sort of have to be done, and they're particularly around sleep, rest, hygiene, um, you know, ensuring children's basic, basic uh, health and safety, which is why it's sort of called that. So to me, it's the quality area that for me has the least wiggle room, I think, for you know, a lot of the other quality areas, how they can be interpreted, how they can be viewed, how they fit into an individual context. There are broader applications for what that looks like. Quality area two, for me, is far more black and white, at least about meeting the minimum standard. I think how you go beyond and, that. And that's
1: what's really interesting in the research. I'll just throw in a research thing. It's the standard of all standards. It, it's the quality area of all standards that has the least number of services rated as exceeding it.
0: Hmm.
1: So it's up there, you know, second highest from the top at the number of meeting it, but the least exceeding it. So even, you know, I think all of us would tend to go, when you're assessing your service against each of the quality areas, this is the one that's a bit boring because <laughs> it does have all that regulatory stuff well, in it.
2: and it's it's probably the one that's got the greatest risk, so maybe that's why yeah. it needs to be boring. But when you're, when you're looking from an implementation perspective, Liam, what's the, you know, do you find it one that's easier to communicate with? with teams on or do you find it one that you've got to kind of do yeah, more look, work around
0: What's I think, your it, I, think I think it probably is so looking at even if we look at this from an audit and compliance perspective which I mean you is no one's favorite thing to do but you know I would argue having a good framework around that supports you to do your job and do more creative things what you can do with quality area too is it's far more black and white so just looking at so if you were you know, as we do in the organisation I work with, we conduct audits against all the quality areas, providing you know a tick, yes or no, or even providing evidence against, say, an element like five point two. Uh, sorry, yeah, five point two point three. The dignity and rights of a child are upheld at all times. That's a bit contestable, and that's hard to go really yes or no like that. Can that that's that's a difficult one, but. You know, looking at something like um, effective hygiene practices that are promoted and implemented—that's that's really a yes or no, and it's and it's fairly easy mm. to say whether that's being being done or not. I think the it is like I said, it's it, it's a bit more black and white. I think quality of it too. And I think it has to be because if we look at even if we take a bit of a broader view back about how people think, you know, the sector's drowning in red tape and gone well, why don't We have all this regulation around around um, you know children's education and care that you know ensuring children are safe and free from risk of harm has to be you know the number one priority of the work we do so Mm. i i'm kind of okay with it being a fairly direct and fairly yeah but you're probably right probably pretty boring approach to this ensuring these are the things that we know just have to take place for every single child and it's not really contestable and it's not really you know um something that can be you know deconstructed too much like this stuff just has to happen
1: But I think that it does leave the possibility, especially given how many people aren't exceeding it, how can we do more than meet it?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. might be one worth coming back to, I think as we because um, when we sort of maybe do look at a bit of a wrap up because I've got some thoughts about that, but um it may be worth to saying, so in terms of you know the first standard, which is health, so two point one health, which is each child's health and physical activity. Is supported and promoted you know and from my reading the big changes between the current standard and the one we're moving to is that you know sort of hygiene and health have sort of been moved together so they were separate elements um in the current standard they're sort of sitting under the same uh same area now um it's same for health which makes sense yeah exactly yeah and then sort of healthy eating and physical activity have now also just sort of been combined into a catch-all healthy lifestyle which is an interesting one so um I, look, my view generally is uh, this is. I think when we had our original episode, where we talked about the revised National Quality Standard, I think I said I was broadly in favour of the to the changes. I'm actually the the streamlining kind of makes sense and does bring a lot of stuff together. I I, I do think the same for Quality Area Two. What'll be interesting, I think, which is not helpful for this discussion for this episode, but. A lot of this will be, that is how this then sits against the national law and the regulation. So not a lot's changing.
1: Yeah, um, and that's what that's one of the things that scares me. So, like, one of the things that's different here than in the, the previous one is that w- we actually talked about infectious diseases, yeah. right, and control of infectious diseases, whereas that's not here because you have to have policies about that under the regulations so when people are assessing where they are against the national quality standard you really need to much more than previously look at what parts of the regs also impact upon this so it's no good doing perfectly on these and forgetting that you know, you've got to um, control the spread of infectious diseases under the regulations. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the danger, is that, yes, this is more simple, but it doesn't, it just, it demands more familiarity with the regulations than...
0: Yeah, I'd agree.
1: Possibly the last one.
0: Yeah. And look, and that's probably a good thing, so I think, the The law and the regulations should be better, you know, thumbed through and known. But um, for for a standard that's sort of as crucial to at a at a very foundational level to ensuring children are safe, I think that's one where we have to go. Should we are these things called out separately for a reason? I think like the healthy lifestyle stuff. I'm I look. I'm generally okay with eating and physical activity being combined. I think the only thing that sort of is a bit of a question mark for me is the combining of um managing illness and injury. And hygiene, they are, you know, from my understanding and and reading of the law and regs, they're fairly separate. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, is is as you know, assessment and rating kicks off under this new standard, how that will be will be viewed. But um, yeah,
1: it's interesting. Liam, I recently um, wrote a set of policies for um, a group of services, and when it came time to present those policies to the services. The ones that were debated in most detail were to do with illness and injury management and hygiene practices. Wow. Those three things were like red rags to a ball to um, the directors in that group, you know. They just really, really, really um, wanted had really strong ideas about each and every one of them and wanted to debate
2: each and every one of them based but on... they probably wanted they really structured... Did they want really structured guidance on that and, and when to... Because I think that is the, the challenge in this area is, you know, really structured guidance on when a child shouldn't be with them, you know, and should be going home, when a child should be... I, I think that these are this area is a it's an emotion emotive one for yeah for i agree staff. it was interestingly and because
1: I, I had given really strong mm. structured guidance based on um staying healthy in in child care and a lot of the directors that had been around for quite a number of years weren't happy with 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 those kind of things that were in there. So they wanted to give children with fevers Panadol. They wanted to ch- no. send children that had been vomiting home for 24 hours. And I saw in one of the Facebook groups um, there was discussions about at what temperature do you send children home and at what temperature do you call an ambulance and I'm kind of putting my head through the computer at this stage because Mm -hmm. there is no set temperatures for yeah and
2: I, I think and it's this is probably the hard one because it is that negotiated space between because there is always a third person in this particular conversation and it's the the parents workplace Yes. Because, you know, and <laughs> yep. that, that's that's the really tough one and, and that's why it does become quite emotional because the parent may have had a lot of time off from work and then there's lots of different tensions going on within this discussion. But I guess it's actually flipping back to 2.1.1, which is each child's wellbeing and comfort is provided for, isn't it, really? Because, yeah. <laughs> because it comes back and that's, I guess, this is the area in which... People need to think reflectively and critically and go, is a child at risk here?
0: And yeah. what is
2: going to be the best outcome for this child? Yeah. But it's a, it's a hard space. I mean, how many, how many children have you seen who have come in with conjunctivitis and you know the parents had however many days off work? And, you know, it's a really very difficult for everybody, yeah. in, mostly the child. But it is, yeah, a difficult space, I think.
0: And my recommendation here, mm-hmm. if we're looking at sort of what these standards are like in practice, I think in terms of well-being and comfort, we sort of had a discussion about that. I do think there is, and the, but you're entirely right, Liam. It is a very difficult space as a lot of these issues with young children and their families are. But you know, for for two point one point two, which is under the descriptor. So help- just
1: before you go on to that one, Liam, yeah. on two point one point one, just a reminder to everyone that from October of this year. Everybody has to have a sleeping policy. Yeah, sleep and rest policy. So it's a new policy under Regulation One Hundred and Sixty Eight. Everyone's got to write up that policy if you don't already have one.
0: Yeah, a lot of services do. I know we already do. Um, what I can say so in sort of two point one point two say practices and procedures sort of in practice in services this is the one to me that where you can kind of you you should you should use what's out there so there's a couple of things is a Sequa have templates in place for incident injury trauma records and they have and for medication records look my view is if you're not using those i really don't know why they, they are literally put out by the body that is going to be assessing these things they have literally been provided for free um I know in some of the work I do with other organisations, it's pretty much one of the first recommendations I give them if they're not doing it is it, 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 it's there for you to use. Use them. We we you know we use them. If you only.
1: can find them on their SQL website,
0: that oh, is. Oh, they're easy to find. What are you complaining about? But um, they've got a huge resources page. It's one of the big things on there.
1: Yeah, but then you've got to look down the list and
0: find oh, them. Oh, I have no time. Right. People are complaining they can't use a website. It's 2017. Move on. But... um. <laughs>
2: I'll well, say. I just, sorry, I, I, I logged out for a moment there in my mind. <laughs> what, what can't we find? I didn't mean to. What can't we find? I find the account? SQL website quite hard to navigate. Oh. Yeah, but what are we looking for on the SQL website? So oh? the, for
1: see, the yeah. templates for yeah. illness and injury management, et cetera. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, sorry. Honest, yeah. Honestly, if you're not sorry. just
0: whacking your logo on those, that that if if you're spending time worrying about those things when you don't have to, that that's one thing I would suggest. Um, and then, as Lisa's recommended, there's staying healthy in in early childhood. There's um, there's a, and each state and territory would have some quite specific guidance. This is a thing for me that I always just play the card of I'm not. We're not medical practitioners. We are not we are not even engaging in this discussion. We will follow the advice that's given to us and we make that really clear to families on orientation enrollment. Yes, there'll still be conversations and difficulties, but this one is one where I would just... And it, and it actually it actually says this in um, the current national quality standard, which is um, steps are taken to control the spread of infectious diseases and manage injuries and illness in accordance with recognised guidelines. So that's basically you get out of jail free path. That's saying, look, just follow what these people are telling you they're the experts. I'm not, you know, an immunologist. I'm not a virus expert. This is where you can go to. Families look really get it, but this is the this is the structure we're following, and we just have to follow it. This is this is one of the most black and white standards for me. Is you use what other people are telling you to do because we are not experts in this space and we can't be. Hmm. Sounds like
2: fantastic advice. Make. Fantastic advice. Hey, did you hear Doctor. that? Agreement, Doctor McNicholas. Agreement. Exactly. That's
0: right. Um. And then, I guess, moving on to healthy lifestyle. I am the last person who can possibly comment on healthy lifestyle. Uh, oh, my
2: goodness. Event. Have you
1: been I, having I, I, I for lunch that. again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to... So, the, behind the scenes, listeners, we often sort of test... Or we haven't been doing this recently, but we often test the, just the... When I have to do the recording levels, we often just say what we have for lunch or dinner. If we'd done that tonight, I would have had to have said what I had for dinner half an hour before we started recording was a bowl of Nutri-Grain. But um, grain <gasps> So... I feel like yeah. I may not be hugely qualified to address this, but I mean, this again, you know, it, it, this is kind of dependent on whether you provide all meals or whether you bring you bring. Families bring meals in, but um, again, there are a lot of guidelines around this. There's the um, Nutrition Australia. There are some specific uh, children's programs as well that do this. This is another one I'd be very much looking at. You know what external advice you can get. We 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 shouldn't be nutrition experts. We should know about it, um, particularly around food. Um, But then and then physical activity, I think is. You know, is is something that children are naturally drawn to anyway. And <clears throat> the only sort of practice advice I'd give here is I I, I wouldn't be going out and looking at um, I've forgotten the term or oh, incursion. So I wouldn't be going out and looking for someone to come in and do this for you. This is something I think that should be just as planned for in a regular part of your curriculum where you're engaging children in physical activity. We know that children learn really well through physical activity. Whether you you know buy into you know Howard Gardner's sort of multiple intelligences theory, which I know gets contested a lot, but we know that. You know, children under the age of five being able to physically move and engage is is really important to their learning. So, um I I would be hesitant about sort of going to someone else and going, Can you come in and do, you know, yoga and, and, and all that stuff with us. I think we can do that pretty effectively ourselves.
2: Definitely. I think we should um, I think re- we'd be re- go- better if we don't have neutral going. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But let's let's reignite the the passion for you know, ball games and uh, and game, big circle games and those sorts of things. Don't you love those?
0: Duck, duck, goose. Tunnel they're just...
2: ball. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, tunnel ball, captain ball. They're excellent, excellent <laughs> games for young children.
0: <laughs> Bring back tunnel ball. That's our recommendation for this episode.
2: <laughs> go for a run in the park. Fill in all the important forms. Then go for a run in the park. <laughs>
0: Now remember everyone, if it's something you do regularly and it's very close to you only have to do one risk assessment a year. So don't let that stop you going out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. Well is we just- better than the old physical sorry, I was just thinking back to those times when we used to take the babies to the beach and and you know, they'd be in the surf and I, I know some services still do, which I think is wonderful. Um you know, taking them for long walks on the beach and, the, <laughs> and they'd be splashing around in the water.
0: Yeah, we don't do a lot of that yes. in Canberra for some reason.
2: No, we have take them away. to the bush.
0: Take them to the bush. Now, Lisa, as a resident sort of research policy data expert, was there any research data evidence you wanted yeah. to bring about for standard so-
1: 2.1? A CEQA, in their occasional paper too, which interrogated what was happening with children's health and safety, point out that it's um, uh, that it was the old 2.1 point, she looks for it desperately here, 2.1 point um, three, which was effective hygiene practices are promoted and implemented, that services were doing the worst at. Oh. Right? So, um, you need to, look like, you know, I presume because that's a really easy one to look at, you know, are you doing that hand washing? Are you doing those gloves, etc.? Are you promoting hygiene to children when the assessor's there and every day? So, um, that one translates to two point one point two in the new, um. As standard, so we need to look at that one really carefully.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, and I think that's what I was saying before. In terms of you know auditing and compliance with QA two, it is some of those things are very obvious if they're happening and not happening. It doesn't take too long to know whether they're not. Yeah. yeah. true. So we might, uh, if we're sort of draw a curtain over two point one, we might move on to two point two, which is the safety component of uh, of health and safety and this you know in summary is uh, it, it its it's pretty black and white each child is protected so this sort of moves away I think from sort of daily um, basic health needs to looking into things like child protection um, uh, and sort of emergency and incident management uh, again a really a really foundationally important one and I think the one that Again, my instinct would be i'd rather this wasn't combined or condensed at all, but the main the main um, change we're seeing from the current national quality standard to the new one is a sort of combination of um sort of supervision elements so in the current standard two point three point one is children adequately supervised at all times and two point three point two. Is uh, every reasonable precaution is taken to protect children from harm and any hazard likely to cause injury, and they've been combined into one element, which is uh, supervision at all times, reasonable precautions and adequate supervision, uh, ensure children are protected from harm and hazard. And then the other two elements, incident and emergency management and child protection, have actually remained largely the same with some minor changes. So, um, look, I think overall probably okay, although it's interesting supervision is a very contested topic within the sector so what does supervision mean how you know it, it does it count as supervision if the child's in the next room but there's a huge window and i can see straight through so combining that with um you know hazards and injury may be tricky for services because i know this is still a question that's still coming to regulatory charities and still being contested i think in terms of minor adjustments and and that kind of stuff. I it, Will that be easier or harder to, to get a handle on that one?
1: Yeah. I Look, at it, to me, this is one of the ones where I think that it could have been made cle- clearer in a way that it wasn't. Um, the, the regulations require that um, approved providers and nominated supervisors must ensure adequate supervision at all times. And also that they must take every reasonable precaution to protect children from any harm and hazard. But I think that with the release of the final reports from the um, uh, inquiry into institutional abuse of children, we're going to see a much greater focus on child safety in organisations, including um, education and care services. And there's no words in this, in the new standard, that tell me that. It says ensure children are protected from harm and hazard. And then in child protection, it says management, educators and staff are aware of their roles and responsibilities to identify and respond to every child at risk of abuse or neglect. And It's not really strong enough, is it? No, it doesn't talk about child-safe organisations. It talks about... They're words that we use to think about children in their homes, at risk of. We're not talking about the child that's at risk because you've accidentally employed someone who isn't
2: safe to be around children. At least management is there now, which I think is is so important because it's about having that oversight but it's yeah it's definitely not strong enough
0: and i think it's a bit of a product of this is one of the issues with australia's sort of federalist structure is that every state and territory has sort of different approaches to this so even in the act yeah. we've just recently um like literally this month in july just be started a reportable conduct scheme which brings us in line with new south Wales and victoria but i think I think this is a function of, and we see this a lot of time in government policy, is that because the states and territories can't agree on a single way of sort of dealing with this, they've had to keep it pretty pretty vague. And I, my feeling is that, um, and particularly this is what I've seen in the ACT, it may just be because we're a small jurisdiction, is that the regulatory authority here very much sees this as alongside and in some cases even subservient to the... Child protection legislation that's in place. So now the reportable mm. conduct scheme. So, this is one where, um, you know, as we talk about sort of practice, is very, very, being very clear, particularly if you're a nominated supervisor or an approved provider, is being very clear and knowledgeable about what your individual state and territory's requirements are. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, that's the, so, that's the key.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To,
2: and integrating all of those different um, things around. Child safe organisations, but it requires a very good knowledge yeah. and it should be at the forefront of people's minds. And do you guys get
1: the feeling that not a lot of organi- education care services actually follow all the requirements to be child safe organisations?
0: Uh, well, well, I, I don't know. I mean, the services... I guess I can only talk from my context and experience. I've only ever worked for community-based, not-for-profits, which tend to take this stuff quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Even if there's other things they don't, I think they do take this quite seriously. I Look, I imagine it's different service by service, but this is one of them in particular. Like this standard in particular is the one I would hold up to people who go, oh, it's ridiculous red tape, and why can't kids just be kids? Why do we have this of bloody regulations for just kids to have a play? This is the stuff where we go when we look at things like the Royal Commission into institutional responses to to child harm and child sexual abuse, it's because people didn't take this seriously. We do need to spell this out in black and white. We do need to For Look, my hope is if you're working with young children, you you insti- you are instinctually going to be on the side of keeping children safe. But what this does is is make it, it puts it in black and white, maybe not as strongly as we'd like, but at least it's, the, the, you know, I think it is a little bit clearer in the law and the regulations around what you have to do. But if you can't get on board with protecting children as a regulated responsibility, I I, like why are you working in early childhood education and care? We know (laughs) what we know. You look at you know those those hideous examples from the United States and even Ireland a few back, where you know uh, you know not to bring it down, but children can die in situations like this where services and organisations don't take this stuff seriously. I have no time for people saying this is this is burdensome red tape. No. Anyway, moving on quickly from that uh, ray of sunshine, um, Leanne. I think I I hogged all the practice examples from Standard Two Point One. Uh, did you Did you have anything you want to sort of bring to the individual elements here? So the first one is supervision, and about um, ensuring adequate supervision and protecting children from harm. You know, from your your experience in leadership, um, what's what, what 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 would you sort of recommend? Services prioritize. Well, prioritise? I, th- I think uh,
2: in terms of looking at this, and and it's you know we break it down about how that very structured approach to supervision but i would say that children are much easier to supervise when they're engaged mm-hmm. in their in in their daily um you know educational program and experiences and when their wellbeing is being mm-hmm. is being taken care of and their comfort is being taken care of then there are many less threats to um the you know, the harms and the hazards. So in looking at it I'm just sort of coming from a different different approach with this is that it's about engagement and about staff being um, educators being really engaged with children. Yeah. Supervision is not goes,
0: surveillance.
2: It's yeah, not standing exactly. in the corner with your
0: arms crossed yeah. watching and what's supervision
2: going Supervision is much, much easier when everybody everybody in the whole service community is engaged in what is going on in that. Now, that doesn't always completely protect children from harm and hazard, but when there's an awareness of those harms and hazards as a result of people establishing great experiences for children and beautiful environments and all of those things, then this actual standard does take care of itself.
0: Yeah. Um, my, my only recommendation, sorry to interrupt, Liz, my but just in terms yeah. of at a practice level is... And it's that's made-
2: really funny because sorry Liam you didn't, inter- <laughs> you didn't interrupt you did Lisa <laughs> breathed <laughs> I felt bad sorry Lisa
0: um is and this may sound crazy to people, but I imagine there's probably some fantastic teachers and educators out there doing this, but is do this with children. Sit down with children, particularly in the preschool room, but I've seen this being done in toddler rooms as well, is actually talk to children about what this means and and develop supervision plans with children. In one of the centers I work with, I'm sorry, in in, in all of the centers I work with, but it started at one particular center. Uh, displayed on each of the walls in each of the rooms are supervision plans drawn by children after discussions with educators and it and, and and it takes those questions saying look we have to make sure we can always make sure you're safe and and free from harm where do you think you know in the in the outdoor space where do you think educators should be standing where do you think the risks and hazards are exactly the same there is absolutely no reason we cannot and should not do this with children and even at a sort of strategic sort of uh, selfish level they are viewed incredibly well during assessment and rating so that is an example of you know a service really taking that that responsibility seriously and engaging with the people it's going to affect, which is the young, the little people working in these, the little people being educated and cared for in these spaces. Um, I, I have a really strong recommendation to do that with the children you're working with.
2: And it's also um, about risk. Like children should take risks. Children, Children actually should have accidents. I'm sorry, but they should. <laughs> Um, because this is foundational to their understanding of yeah. of um you know, what happens when you take a risk. But the the safety should be that the child doesn't harm themselves badly when they have these small accidents. And we have many less childhood injuries than we used to.
0: Yeah, despite what the Daily Telegraph wants to say.
2: Well, there's more in childcare because there's more childcare, right? So that's that's just the numbers are there. But but we do have a lot less accidents than we used to. Jeez, when I was a kid, it was so much more dangerous. <laughs> Remember?
0: <laughs> You're running on the roads, just, just hanging from the roof. I can just picture you there, Leanne.
2: Uh, look, I'm sure all three of us could have a litany of, of injuries that we had as young children, well, no, um, a, whether it was in nursery schools or early childhood settings. Or, not
0: for me. Or it's in, a bit, it's a bit hard to injure yourself I'm sitting kidding. in the library reading a book.
2: <laughs> yes,
1: exactly, Liam, I no thought paper, exactly.
0: <laughs> paper cuts, paper cuts. Paper right. is about <laughs> it.
2: Terrible things, <Terrible. laughs> things.
0: Um,
2: I think,
1: Liam, that she forgets sometimes that you and I are basically nerds that don't kind of engage in... I know.
0: And, we're just, and we're all just, we're just both amazed that the cool kid Leanne is still hanging out with us and talking with us
2: I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a nerd too, but I had a mother that said, get outside, get outside, get outside <laughs> Hello mum and, uh, <laughs> and, also, and also two Brothers who I was older, brothers I had a younger sister, but two older brothers who I was constantly running from. So, you know, it's like the playground took care of me.
0: Oh, no, we need to talk about adequate supervision in the Gibbs household. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: my poor mum, you know, fourteen times at the children's hospital when my brothers <sighs> were young. Oh <laughs> no! Oh, so, oh anyway.
1: dear! I was surprised <laughs> she, she let you out at all. I would have thought she had you tied to her apron strings after that. She, you, she knew it was safer safe out of the supervision <laughs> of my brothers.
0: <laughs> um,
1: um, just a one or, or two researchy things. Go for it. Um. I know that you know you've said that supervision, yeah, like it's a very basic thing, but it's interesting that um when you break down how services are doing by um, management type, 28% of um not-for-profit community managed services rate exceeding on on um quality area two compared to only 16 of. Um, not-for-profit, of uh, for-profit services, 16% of for-profit services. So supervision in terms of exceeding ratios may in fact help you to um, meet this standard.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I think it's I, yes. it's interesting looking at the data because I only had a sort of brief look at the occasional paper to pretend I'd done any research for tonight. But I think the overall sort of feedback was it was QA2 probably had some of the least fluctuations between... In some areas between service types, so it, people seem like there seems to be a bit of a flatter approach to it but um and see now for some reason well not 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 in all of them I know but in but in, but uh, it, it compared to some of the other quality areas it is it's a bit flatter yep. than some of the other ones um sorry, what I was going to say there was um it's now completely escaped my mind for, for for some reason. Okay,
1: well, I'll jump in then and tell you the two standards that were um, that services weren't meeting in the old one, which is that every reasonable precaution was taken to protect children from harm and any hazard likely to cause injury. So that's the equivalent of two point two point one in the new um, standard, and secondly that. Plans to manage effectively manage incidents and emergencies are developed in consultation with relevant authorities, practiced and implemented. And I'm sure everyone practices and implements, so Mm -hmm. I suspect it was, I haven't read the entire paper, but I suspect it was developed in consultation with relevant authorities that was the catch there.
0: Yeah. I've realised what I was going to say in terms of supervision, so in terms of that particular research you've said there, Lisa, I, I may surprise some people here by saying that services should be aware that additional just having a higher educator-to-child ratio, so having additional staff in... Um, additional educators in a classroom does not necessarily mean that that automatically leads to better supervision. It, it's as Leanne was saying. It's engagement with with children. It's the quality of those educators. It's the quality of the practices and the routines and the transitions that are set up. Um, in that we can you know we can debate and argue about the minimum ratio requirements in the NQS. They're the accepted national standard. Could that would you know do I wish they were better? Yes, but they they are. You, you can run a very, very, very high quality service on those ratios. So I'm always, I, I always give a bit of pushback. People just go, well, if we just had more, you know, just, it, it's not that, it, yeah. that's not an automatic correlation.
2: No, and you're you're perfectly on the money there, Lam, because there were there's been a number of research studies that look at when those obviously when those ratios go higher and what happens to the supervision yeah. and what happens to the interactions. And the interactions certainly increase between the adults, but they don't increase <laughs> between the children and the adults. So Jim oh. Jim Greenman, the very the very much loved Jim Greenman, <clears throat> brought a lot of that research Because he really was wanting to focus on the the capacity that environments had to um, engage children, and then what happened when you put too many adults in those environments.
0: Absolutely. Well, I probably internalised that research and passed it as my own. I can't remember reading it, but you did.
2: You did. It would have been in your undergraduate. (laughs)
0: Sorry, Jim. Um, So moving on, because I know we're we're keeping people far later than we than we planned to, as usual. But um, it's good to be back with you both. So, incident and emergency management is two point two point two. Look, I probably don't have a lot to say about this. This is pretty basic stuff. Practice your practice your drills. Do your lockdowns. Do your emergency evacuations. This is again only advice. I remember I was was going to say I was going to let you handle some of these. Leanne, sorry, I've already run roughshod over you. Is yeah, again in, involve children in them, not just in doing them, but involve children in the planning, in the discussion. We how how do you think this can work? What do you, what do you think are the things we need to practice, particularly after they happen? Talk to children about well how they thought they worked. Like this is there are really, you know, simple, really simple ways of involving children in these that mean that, A, the procedures are better, so when you do them, they're better, because the children involved have had a say and feel ownership of them, um, but, you know, sort of, B, demonstrate, you know, a really strong commitment to, to upholding the rights of children to engage in these things. Yes, hear, hear. <laughs> Sounds great. And then 2.2.3, child protection. Look, we kind of talked about that a lot at the start, I think. Mm. This is... It's particularly knowing the knowing your specific state and territory responsibilities, um, prioritising child protection training in your PD planning. I know that that becomes a lot harder when PD funding goes. We don't have the LDC PDP anymore, but. Uh, it is it is really important, I think, to be doing this, you know, you know, probably at least, you know, depending on your service type and where you are, but you know, at least, you know, intensively once a year. But, you know, I would well, argue... Yeah,
2: I agree totally with that, Liam, and yeah. I think it should be a priority. And I think your child protection dollars go a long way if you bring someone in to work with the whole you know, do do the whole do the whole community, the management, the educators yeah, and the absolutely. parents. Why not just bring everybody yeah. together? Best money you'll spend. Because everybody will understand if you if you're doing it all together, that can be a shared conversation. And follow all the things you need to
1: become a child safe organisation while you're at it. Yes, exactly.
0: You can tick
2: that box.
1: one of the simplest thing which I almost never see happening, is just putting in, in all of your recruitment ads, we are a child-safe organisation. Yeah. Then, you know, if, if someone who's looking to take advantage of a child sees that and sees another ad without it, which one, service are they going to be more inclined to go for?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Fantastic. <clears throat> Good
2: so, advice.
0: Lisa, was there any other research data for this standard you wanted to bring us?
2: Um, no, but I'd really um,
1: encourage people to read this occasional paper to Children's Health and Safety because it goes through examples of services that didn't meet what, you know, what um, what the uh, assessors saw, you know. So they might have been seeing things like, you know, that there was great um, uh, emergency exit, Charts in each room, but that people weren't doing it often enough. You know, practicing it often enough, or that there might be, um, you know, uh, lots of um, supervision happening, but people hadn't actually worked out what are the risks at different areas of the playground. So,
2: yeah. So let's put let's put all of those up, Liam, or all of those links, I reckon, because there's some really great stuff in terms of snapshots and figures and numbers and and um, the data's all Absolutely. there for us yeah. to digest.
0: Well, and given Lisa's been mean about their website, I'm going to give Sequa a, a good a good wrap for... They, they do have some fantastic resources on there, not just the templates, but mm. those occasional papers. And um, I really think one of the stuff. things we'll, we'll look back on, you know, as 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 data builds up, this wealth of data about the sector will only become more and more and more valuable and important. Mm. Yeah
2: yeah definitely
0: wonderful all right well i don't i, I think we've wrung every last bit of uh, thing we can get out of quality area 2 we hope that was well, that was helpful for people we'll um we'll have quality area 3 physical environments coming up when we are organised enough to do that the general process is we'll try and find someone to talk to us about it and then we we don't succeed and we'll do it ourselves but we might if you honestly (laughs) early early education show listeners if you have a recommendation for someone we should talk to about physical environments we'd love to hear we'd um we'd love to have that discussion with you but stay with us for a very quick little musical break and then we're going to come back with our recommendations and wrap up so stay with us We're back, so we're going to move on with our recommendations for the week. And Leanne, as always, we're going to go to you first. What have you got for us?
2: Um, well, I did allude to this at the start of at the start of the show, and it's the starting strong uh, twenty seventeen with the key OECD indicators on early childhood education and care. This one actually has a bit of a, a focus on transition to school too, but. The thing with this is it's a lovely, long report. It has lots of beautiful, juicy data, which we love, but understand that not everybody will love that. So many graphs, little... Leanne. You <laughs> know. It's so exciting, isn't it? So many great things there. Um, but the, the wonderful thing is, is that you can get it all in a 52-minute webinar. Um, narrated by Andreas Schleicher, who is the 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 man's man of data, or the the woman's <laughs> man. I don't know. Anyway, he's he's whatever he I is. I think Leanne's got a crush on him. <laughs> I have, I have. I've I've been seen him in person, you know, like a concert. Um, but the thing about um,
0: you've seen him live, Leanne.
2: You this, mean. Yeah, I've seen him live. <laughs>
0: see,
2: I'm so flustered, I can't even remember <laughs> what I saw. <laughs> but he um (laughs) i can't even go on
0: (laughs) watch the webinar people read the book (laughs) watch
2: the webinar because one of the great joys is hearing him talk about early childhood and getting really excited about it and sharing as much excitement as as we all do and all of you out there yay that's (laughs) (laughs) cool
0: thanks leanne all right lisa what are you recommending people look at
1: Look mine I'm going to be very quick about this it's um I've linked to an article which actually links to the actual report but if you can't be bothered reading the report just read the article which is the report of some um of some english uh, english longitudinal study which surprisingly found that children do better when they've been to early education and care from the age of 2 and once again, it's found that poorer children do better because of early education care than um, more um, financially advantaged children. But both of both groups still do better than if they don't have early education and care. So yay, we do the good stuff once again. Yeah. The only thing it did find out um, negatively is don't put um, children um, in 35. Um, uh, hours or more of care from babyhood because it doesn't work
2: mm, there you go Mario. that's the number
0: yep check it out and my one again very quickly will be a link to an article on the conversation which oh, uh yeah i know well, we're back to loving them but um yeah. and just we re- never done. Yeah, and I just really recommend checking it out. I won't go into it too much, but it really just has a look at the importance of uh, laughing and having fun and playing with children. It seems so obvious, but to have a researcher and, you know, an academic sort of talk about how important it is, uh, particularly because as well as just being advocates for early childhood education, we should also be advocates for play-based approaches for early childhood education and extending those approaches right out into the first few years of school because then we might see some improved Data in some of those news stories we had in the news list about Australia suspending children and not doing so well in performance. You know, there's a lot of research that suggests because we we aren't, you know, those first few years of school, we're not following that research that says play based approaches are the way to do it. So go for it. And it gives me permission to do lots of my terrible dad jokes in a work context. So I'm very happy with it.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. Humour is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. And children with a sense of humour is even funnier.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 beautiful all right so that's check out all three of those things we hope you enjoy them uh but that's it for another episode we hope you've enjoyed spending an hour or more with us again we really appreciate all your listen all, you know everyone who, who listens in and gives us feedback really appreciate it if you want to get in touch with us there's a couple of pretty easy ways to do that you can probably First port of call is our website, www.earlyeducationshow.com. Uh, while you're there, you can click the Contact Us link, and you can send us an email. I promise I do check the inbox whenever I can. Um, another really fantastic thing you can do if you're enjoying what we're doing, you want to keep want to keep the party going, uh, is click the Support the Show link. So what that does is takes you to our Patreon page, where you can support us for us financially as little as $1 a month. And like I said, we haven't had a new patron for quite a while, so... If it's something you've been thinking about, if it's something you've been wondering about, you know, it makes us feel very happy and means we can do lots more fun things down the track with that support. Um, If you can't do that, you know, a rating and a review on the Apple podcast store is really valuable. It means other early childhood professionals and friends of the early childhood sector can find the podcast. Um, You can also find the show on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, still no Instagram. Leanne, wasn't that your job? Uh, at Early edgy Show on Facebook and Twitter. What
1: would we put on the Instagram account? Oh, I don't <laughs> know.
0: Me eating Nutri-Grain, probably. But um, <laughs> that's what the people want. But um, and refusing to go outside. But the <laughs> <laughs> you can you can also email us directly at earlyedgeyshow at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us all individually on Twitter as well. You can find me at Liam McNicholas,
1: and me at Lisa J
2: Bryant. And me at Leanne M Gibbs
0: three. And Leanne, congratulations on cracking one thousand followers.
2: oh yeah, I was pretty excited about that. But that was, I think, that was as a result of uh, doing a bit of an MC gig with the Regio conference. So thank you to all of those people that followed me. Don't unfollow me because otherwise, <laughs> I'll I'll lose my I'll lose my one thousand of my one K status. And I will actually change back my. My descriptor, I changed it in honour of the Tour de France, which is on at (laughs) the moment. My big Tour de France. Fan and I changed the name of the early education show on my descriptor as
0: well. I did see that. That was very well done. And looking a very quick thanks as we were, a quick congratulations to Leanne for emceeing. I heard fantastic things about how well she did at the oh. Reggio Information Exchange um, Conference for and her work. I was getting there. And and Lisa for her presentation. And I will just note that I was the only one person on the show not invited in any capacity to take part. But you know, I'm not bitter but or you resentful. But
2: You asked a question which. Sorry, I did. We did ask, and we did get a response to. Oh so yes, we just forgot yes. to tell him the answer. All right. <laughs> yeah. So no, the answer was the answer was tweeted. It was it was tweeted, and the answer was about professional identity, and the answers were about being resilient um, and having empathy. That gives this. Uh, sorry,
1: remember?
2: there was one other answer. Um. Oh, what was that? Join the
1: union? Oh,
2: union? Join the union. That's
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> that was my answer. That's why I remember it. <laughs> that's pretty much
0: always the answer to most questions. Join the union, people. <laughs> Shout out to Martel. But um, So that's it for another week. We'll be back with you next week. Looking forward to it. So until then, it's bye from me.
2: And from me. And from me.